Good morning. We're starting a new sermon series today, and the reading's taken from Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Evelyn, for praying. And we are starting a new series through Romans, so you can read through um, week by week if you'd like. Um, but let's turn to God and let's ask Him to bless us and speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word that it's living and active, and we pray now that it will speak to us and form us into a gospel people. In Jesus' name. Amen. St. Augustine, pictured here, is arguably the most influential theologian in history of the world. Um, but at one point, he was contemplating suicide. He was so miserable. In his autobiography, Confessions, he writes, How long? How long is it to be tomorrow? Tomorrow, why not now? Why not an end to my impure life to, in this very hour? And famously, he heard a voice that came to him, pick up and read, pick up and read as if in a chant. And he saw a Bible nearby. He picked it up and read the passage. And this is what he writes. I seized it, opened it in silence, and read the first page on which my, li- my eyes lit. <coughs> Not in riots. <clears throat> and drunken parties, not in eroticism and indecencies, not in strife and rivalry, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
in its lusts, Romans 13, 13 to 14. I neither wished nor needed to read further. At once, with the last word of the sentence, it was as if the light of relief from all anxiety flooded into my heart and all the shadows of doubt were dispelled. This is a moment when St. Augustine became St. Augustine, when uh, God's word through Romans changed his life. And the reading of Romans changed his life, and uh, uh, hundreds of years later, Martin Luther, uh, the famous reformer, recovered the doctrine of salvation by faith and grace alone, contemplating on this passage that we read, the last verse, uh, that, that in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that little phrase, righteousness of God from faith to faith. As he contemplated what that meant, he was freed from the guilt of sin and was assured of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And a few hundreds years later, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, and he was passing by with all the doubts um, in his mind, and someone was reading from, the, uh, from uh, Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans, introduction to the book of Romans. And as he was listening to what it meant, he writes on that day that his heart was strangely warmed. The last one is Karl Barth, one of the um, most influential theologians of this past century. And his book, um, Commentary on Romans, his introduction to Romans really was the beginning of what is called the neo-orthodoxy movement um, that really that, that challenged and uh, did away with uh, liberalism um, in his day. This book has had this great influence over Christians and over history of the world, really, because it is the longest and perhaps the most clear exposition of what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is, which means it shows us who we are, what we are like apart from God, and what Jesus has done for us, especially on the cross, and what is, what is death and resurrection means and how we are transformed by this news. So we'll spend 14 weeks together going through Romans chapters 1 all the way through 8. We'll do eight weeks before the summer, and we'll take a short break and then come back and do six weeks um, at, um, later in the fall. But in these opening words, chapters 1, verses 1 through 17, what we find is how Paul thinks of himself, what his identity is, and what he lives for. And there we'll see also what the gospel is. He introduces us to what the gospel is and the obligation that it puts us in. I know Chinese culture is a bit like this. Um, Korean culture is definitely like this. In Korean culture, you might go a long time knowing somebody without knowing their names. It's because we don't call each other by names. We call each other by their titles. And so we invent all sorts of different titles. One of the titles is Sajang. Sajang is um, like a president of a company, a small company, big company, whatever, Sajang. Or Huejang, which is uh, like a, a leader of a group. But the most uh, obvious or the easiest way that people define each other is by their relationship to their children. So my parents were known as he was mom and dad, he was mom or he was dad. Well, if you had to use just few words to get to the core of who you are, how would you introduce yourselves? Who are you really? How would you introduce yourselves to others? 
Well, because the church in Rome was not the one that, uh, not one that Paul had founded and he had never visited, he's writing this letter to introduce himself to the people in Rome. And in verse 1, he uses a couple of words um, that is quite striking. He says, a Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That servant really is the same word as slave. Hi, he's saying, my name is Paul. I'm a slave of Jesus. I am not my own. I've been bought by, my, by the blood of my master. And I live at the beck and call of my master, Jesus. That's what he's saying. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. The presenter of Christianity Explored, um, Rico Tice, tells a story of um, the former rector of um, All Souls Church, um, Richard Buse. Richard was a good friend of Billy Graham. He helped to organize some of these crusades um, in the heydays. And I think um, he uh, organized this crusade in, in a European city. I think Richard was due to give the closing um, uh, talk um, after Billy had spoken and the call and the music and all of that. But because this was an event of tens of thousands of people, right, he had prepared what he was going to say. But the problem was that the music and the response time ran a little too long, and Richard was bumped, and he never got to speak at all. Rico, at the time, was a young curate um, at All Souls, and so he went up to Richard after the um, event, and he said, well, uh, Richard, this is so unfair, unfair. You didn't get to speak at all. People missed out hearing from you, to which Richard replied, Rico, we're just servants of Jesus. We do whatever Jesus tells us to do. We're not about ourselves. We're not about our glory, glories. We're about the glory of Jesus Christ. And whatever he tells us to do, we do. Whatever he does not say that he tell, we should do, we don't do. Church, is that how you think of yourselves? I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. The second term that he uses for himself is an apostle. In a great contrast to the first one, this one is a term of great dignity, isn't it? Apostle is somebody who is sent out in the, with the authority of Jesus Christ. The church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets and with Jesus as the cornerstone. He's an apostle, verse 5, because he had received apostleship from Christ. Jesus appeared to him. Uh, and on the way to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and called him and commissioned him to go out and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He is an apostle with God's authority, God's representative. Of course, we ought not to see ourselves as the foundations of the church like Paul, but we are still sent out. An apostle means somebody who is sent out. Perhaps a term that we should see ourselves with is perhaps something like herald or an ambassador. A herald is a messenger that the king sends out with a message. You know, like you saw maybe the coronation with the trumpet um, sounding. These mess heralds go out into the villages, and then he reads the messages that the king has sent. That's who we are. We are heralds of our King Jesus. We are given a message to proclaim to the world. 
Perhaps we're also ambassadors. That's a, ambassador is another word that we could use to describe ourselves. We're there to convey the message of our king, to show people what God's kingdom looks like by the way that we live our lives. We are ambassadors in foreign land, and that's who we are. I mean, these are just little terms, but friends, how Paul saw himself changed the world, didn't it? Because he saw himself as a slave of Christ, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he changed the world. And how we see ourselves fundamentally will change our life, what we say, what we do, how we live our lives. So friends, do you see yourselves as servants of Jesus? What if we all did? If we were considered ourselves fundamentally slaves of Jesus, doing his bidding, whether we like it or not, um, that, uh, speaking the words that he speaks, or whether we see ourselves as heralds and ambassadors conveying the message that God has entrusted us, going out, telling people about Jesus, servants, heralds, um, um, ambassadors, that is who we are. And if you ask, well, what exactly are we sent out to do? Paul tells us in the next section, in verses 8 through 13, what his mission is, to strengthen the church, to bring people to faith. He tells them in verse 10 that he's been praying for Christians in Rome, whom he has not met yet. He's been praying to go to Rome, verse 11, because uh, he wants to see them and to impart to them some spiritual gifts to make you strong and be mutually encouraged by their faith. He probably means that he wants to just use the spiritual gifts that God had given him, gift of preaching and teaching, and strengthen them and their faith to help them to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. And while doing it, he's sure that uh, as he sees people grow, he'll be encouraged in his faith. And one uh, well-known Christian speaker, whom I won't name, um, was coming to Singapore and contacted St. Andrews to see if maybe Hong Kong could host him too. We inqu inquired about the details, but the details made us cringe a bit because the requirements, one of the requirements was that this person had to be flown in first class. I was like, okay. Um, and then we saw the, the, the speaking fee, the, the honorarium. It was much higher than what we um, would normally consider. That certainly is not Paul here, is it? Paul says he's longing. He wanted to go to see the church in Rome, not because he had something to gain from it, but because he wants to go and encourage people's faith to help them to strengthen their faith. It was such a joy for him to see people growing in faith. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gifts to make you strong. Church, I hope you have that sort of desire too, to use your spiritual gifts to strengthen the faith of others around you here today, the people that you meet in the coffee hour today, the people that you uh, meet with in links groups each week, to be part of the church, how much of your energy and time is devoted to strengthening other people's faith, to helping people to grow in their faith. 
If you're a young Christian, I hope that you are equipping yourself, not just for yourself, but because you know the joy of, of uh, that you'll know that you want to know the joy of discipling somebody else, to see other people grow and bearing fruit 30, 60, 100 times. And if you're an older Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, I hope that's one of the reasons why you come. I hope you'll come each week by praying, as Paul did. He's praying for God to open the opportunity that he can go to Rome and encourage their faith. I hope you will do that too each week. You'll pray that God would open the opportunity for you to use your spiritual gifts to strengthen somebody else's faith in him so that you might know the joy of seeing people grow. And Paul also continues in verse 13 that he wants to have a harvest in church in Rome. As he had done in other cities when he visited, he'll go to the church, he'll strengthen their faith, but he'll also go out to the marketplace, um, to the synagogues or wherever people are so that he can also share the gospel so that, that these non-Christians, people who don't yet know Jesus, would hear the good news of Jesus and be brought into relationship with God. And I hope that is also, once again, our longing as well. And I want to stress like how joyful this work is. You know, often people live for themselves, to, you know, concerned about my job and my, you know, my status or whatever. And actually, it robs us of joy when we give ourselves to others. When we give ourselves in discipling others and seeing, seeing them grow. When we see somebody come to faith, it gives us great joy. When we pour ourselves into something greater than ourselves, into what God is doing, and we are part of what God's doing, there is, there is great joy in that. I still remember the first time that God used me to bring someone to faith. I think I was 16 or 17. I was on a mission trip. And, I, you know, you do, as you do in, in these mission trips, you do a gospel presentation, and I approached somebody who was around you know, I, I, and then I told them about Jesus, and I asked if this person wanted to come to faith, to, to repent and to turn to Jesus and, 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 and to walk with them. And this person said yes, and I was so caught off guard because I was so sure that he was going to say no. My follow-up was something like, really? <laughs> really? And then um, I, I was caught up in this happiness. Of that, that this could be this person's transformation of life, going from death to life at the beginning of this journey of following Jesus and being transformed in his life. As a pastor, I'd love to see the church grow, but you know, if we're honest, most church growth comes from sheep migration, <laughs> people, Christians moving from one church to another church for different reasons. And that's fine when we have a role here for that. But what we love to see is us going out to non-Christians, to people who don't yet know Jesus, and to share the good news of Jesus and seeing the joy of people coming to Him. Strengthen the church. Share the gospel to have that spiritual harvest. You know, God's mission for us is bigger than discipleship and evangelism, but it is at least that. It begins with these. And for all of us, the goal is fruitfulness, right? Fruitfulness, not just to eke out our salvation, you know, not, not just that we just make it all the way to the end, 
The goal is each of us growing, bearing fruit 160, 30 times. That's what we are called to do. And that's what living life to the full looks like as we bear fruit for His kingdom. And friends, this work isn't an optional extra for some super Christians. No, it's something that we're obligated to do. Take a look at verse 14. He says there, I'm obligated to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks. You see, the gospel puts us under this sort of obligation. How? Well, let's go back to seeing what the gospel is. Uh, and just so you know, once again, the rest of the series it will be about the going deeper into this message of the gospel. But he introduces, he begins um, to explain what the gospel is um, from verses 2 to 5, and 2 to 4, and uh, 2 to 5. He says there, uh, the gospel is something that was promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is something that is embedded in the Old Testament. It points to the gospel. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, and that's verse 3, regarding His Son. The Old Testament points to the, finished, uh, to the works of Jesus, the person of Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. As you go to the Old Testament, New Testament, you should go there to meet Jesus because that's what the Bible points to. It's about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus, that He is the Messiah, the descendant of David, and it's also all about what he has done, his life, his death, and resurrection. The Son of God empowered by his resurrection from the dead. You know, King Charles uh, was the king of England for a while now, but he was enthroned as king. And the resurrection is like that too. Jesus, of course, was the Son of God, but by his resurrection, he's enthroned in power. He's confirmed to the world that he is the Son of God. That's the gospel. And if you can scan down to verses 16 and 17, he goes on to explain that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God, of salvation to everyone who believes. Jordan Peterson wrote this great book, 12 Rules for Life, that sold 5 million copies around the world. It's got great principles um, for how to live a meaningful life, like, for example, you know, set your house in order before you criticize somebody else, or don't compare yourself to other people, but compare yourself to what you were like um, the day before, uh, last year. Compare yourself to what you were, you are, <laughs> you were before. I mean, great advice, practical advice on how to improve your life. But look at what Paul says about the gospel. The gospel isn't an advice that you take. No, the gospel is the power of God that saves people just by believing in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, God's power is released in you that brings life to those who are dead, that transforms you from inside out to a new person that will sustain you to eternity. That is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God that saves, and this is because it also reveals God's righteousness to us by faith from first to last. Scholars have debated this um, 
what this righteousness of God from faith to faith um, means. Some say God's righteousness um, here is about God's righteousness that is revealed on the cross. For example, um, that on the cross, we see God's righteousness because we see that God does not let evil slide. All the wrongdoings, God knows. All the evil things that are happening in the world, God doesn't just go, okay, that's fine. I'm just going to forgive. No, on the cross, we see that God is just, that God punishes, that He is a righteous King. Some people say that the righteousness of God um, is covenant faithfulness, that He is made right by fulfilling um, His covenant made to Abraham and David, and certainly that's what God does as well on the cross. God fulfills the promises made to the forefathers and brings salvation to His people. While these are all true, perhaps the most important way that the righteousness of God is revealed through the cross, through the gospel, is that it gives us God's righteousness to those who don't deserve it by faith. Uh, you see, we often think of salvation as receiving a blank sheet of paper, receiving forgiveness, you know, all the past things, it's all erased and I'm done, and I receive a clean sheet of paper. But the gospel is much more than that, isn't it? Because the gospel says you receive this sheet of paper, you hand it in yours in, you get this new sheet, and it's got your name on it. But it's got all the things that you didn't do written there. It's got how you fed the poor. It's got how you loved your enemies. It's got how you were the perfect uh, husband and wife or children, son or daughter. It's got how you did all these good works that you didn't do. And then you look at it and you go, no, no, this can't be me. This is not me. I'm no saint. But of course, that's what the gospel is. No, we are holy. We're made righteous through the gospel. You know, in verse 7, Paul calls for those in Rome saints, holy people, in verse 7, why? He hadn't, he hadn't met them. He doesn't know them. But he knows that these are people who accepted the good news of Jesus and who has received the righteousness of God that comes through faith. That's who they are. So Paul can call them saints even though he doesn't know them. This is how Paul put it to Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, it didn't, it didn't mean that Jesus became sinful, but he was treated as one who was sinful, so that we, it doesn't mean that we're righteous now, but we are treated as righteous because of the cross. We have received what we are is righteousness of God. That's the good news that puts us under obligation to tell others. Look at what he says in verse 14. I am obligated. Obligated, he says. Not in the sense that we owe God uh, because we need to pay back for the, things that was, for the things that he's done for us. No, we're obligated in the sense that God has given us this good news and he has told it that he has told us to give it to others. We have received the gospel so that we can give it to others. It's like if somebody gave me um, $10 billion 
And they said, some, this person said, you go and give it to the poor. Give it to the, the, the people who need it the most. Well, that $10 billion isn't mine. I'm obligated. Even though I received this thing as a gift, it's, I'm obligated now to give it to others. In that sense, we are obligated. We have this, received this salvation, and God then commands us to give it to others around us. But Paul, I don't think, does it because he feels obligated. Look at the very next verse. Verse 15, I am so eager. I am so eager to preach the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel because he has received the salvation himself. Verse 16, because this is the power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul is not ashamed, though we often are. We're often ashamed well, because we think we might be ostracized. We might be called, I don't know, Jesus freak or uh, some crazy zealot or fanatic. We're ashamed to speak of God's judgment, sin, and hell. We're ashamed because the way of the cross does not lead to self-glorification, but it's the way of humility, way of self-giving. There are plenty of reasons to be ashamed, but friends... The gospel, this message, is the power that saved St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, my wife Mary, me, you. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Friends, by receiving the gospel, you have been set apart you are now slaves of Jesus. You are now ambassadors and heralds of the gospel. And I pray that we will devote ourselves to the mission of our King. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, in these uh, eight weeks as we'll go through this section, we pray that you'll help us to revel in the meaning of the gospel, the message of the gospel, in what we were and what you have done and we, what we are in the light of the gospel, that we'll be overwhelmed with your grace and love for us, that we'll be overwhelmed with the hope that we have in Jesus. And we pray now that you would instill in us a godly sense of obligation to share this good news of Jesus with others, to obey the command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything that you have taught us. Lord, that you will help us to be eager to share the gospel. You'll help us to